Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! I'm Katie. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the lead evangelist here at Galileo Church, and I'm glad to see all of you. I'm glad to imagine all of you out there in your homes joining us for worship tonight. We are about halfway through a worship series for this epiphany season called Begin Again, during which we're reading Genesis 1 and 2 with some overlap and repetition from week to week. We're exploring themes from this pair of origin stories in the beginning of our sacred text. Last week, we dove deep into just the first four days of creation as we watched God separating and gathering, arranging the elements to be ready to accommodate life. Tonight, we're skipping ahead a little over day five when all the creatures of the sea and sky come into being, and then day six, all the land animals of all kinds. And you can sort of see in Genesis 1 in this telling that while it is not science, according to our standards, we can recognize our ancestors' careful taxonomy of everything they know about. Everything they can see, they have imagined a narrative that puts it all in order. These are not casual or careless observations they are making. Tonight, we are reading the ending of that first origin story. We're picking up with the second half of the sixth day in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And I'll be reading into chapter 2 just a little bit. Then God said, Let us make humans in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creepy, crawly thing that creeps or crawls upon the earth. So God created humans in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that God had made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening And there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. 
On the sixth day, God finished the work that God had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work that God had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation. So these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's important that I begin tonight with a content consideration. A few minutes into this sermon, I'm going to talk about sexual assault. <clears throat> it's not an individual account, but a statistic. And so I invite you to take care of yourselves, friends. You know what to do, and I hope you know you are so loved. I want to talk about your answer to last Sunday's query. For those of you who haven't been around long enough to notice, Galileo Church has been cycling through a set of four queries or questions that people of faith have been asking each other for a long time for over 10 years for the entirety of our worshiping life together. The weekly query at the top of worship is an invitation for each of us to bring our whole selves into worship, to practice deep presence and participation in what's happening here, rather than that kind of dissociative observational habitus of being a member of an audience in a church. Every query prompts a consideration of one's own spiritual state of being and gives opportunity for connecting with another human being who is considering the same. Some people love it. Some people hate it. It's okay either way. It's not coercive, and it doesn't last long. So last week, we posed what is often the most difficult query for spiritual refugees who have fled the conserving religious landscape of their youth. What is your body saying to your spirit tonight? For a lot of us, church-going used to mean that we heard and then internalized the belief that our bodies are sources of trouble and shame, that they cannot be trusted, that they are unlovely, and deserving of scorn. To listen to our body's wisdom, to appreciate how they feel and what they know and how they can help us, to love our bodies as constitutive of God's good creation is a new and weird practice. It takes some getting used to. We're going to talk about that some more a couple Sundays from now. But for tonight, I am thinking about how almost all of us answered that query last Sunday. Not because I heard from all of you last Sunday, but because I have been around this query block a few times with lots of you. And there is a percentage answer to the query, what is your body saying to your spirit tonight? I know you know what it is. I'm tired, you say. My body is telling my spirit, I'm tired. Believe me, I believe you. My very amateurish observation as a person who hears from lots of people on the regular is that as a culture, we are exhausted. 
I also think it's helpful in the query and tonight to tease out our different experiences of exhaustion because not all tired is the same tired. I'm pretty sure that our ancestors in faith and our ancestors in the human family, in fact, right up until pretty recently, 100% thought about being tired as something that simply happens in your body, to your body. You wake with the sun and immediately begin the hard labor of survival. You hunt or gather, you haul water, you harvest crops, you care for beasts, you tend your house. You work for a boss or for a slaveholder, maybe if you're lucky for yourself, but in each case, you battle the elements as each season takes its turn. You have children in part to share the labor but first you have to labor to get them into the world and then labor to raise them until they can contribute. From sunup to sundown, you use every calorie in the effort to procure more calories and your muscles ache with the repeated effort. That's what it means to be tired that way. Now, for many of us here in U.S. America and here at Galileo Church, getting tired that way is rare. It's a day of summer yard work or spring cleaning. For some of us, it's a hobby. Have you heard of this? Pushing our bodies to do something that is not necessary for survival but that we enjoy I don't understand that myself. Physical exertion as enjoyment, but I hear that some of you do. I pray for you. And it is certainly true that some of us, some of us, and lots of our neighbors labor with our bodies, using them up in significant ways to make stuff happen for the rest of us. And we who do not should always be aware that somebody, somewhere, shed significant sweat to get that pizza to our door, not to mention extracting from the earth the precious metals in the cell phone on which we ordered the pizza. But our far more usual experience of tiredness in this place has to do with being busy, with having a buzz of work, a full schedule, a lack of downtime, a crammed calendar. Our brains are usually more tired than our bodies most days. There are endless lists of obligations, things we said yes to, things that someone is counting on us for, more things than any human could possibly accomplish in 24 hours or seven days or 52 weeks or the decades we have been allotted for this lifetime. On Sunday nights, when we tell each other that we're tired, it can feel like an admission of defeat because the weekend now is all but over. Monday morning is coming and we're not caught up on chores or meal prep or family time or sleep. So we're tired before we even really get started. What's weird is that technology has freed our bodies from so much of the daily labor that our ancestors endured. Take the washing machine, for example. We no longer have to haul water, 
heat water, make soap, scrub each garment on a washboard, haul water for rinsing, hang clothes on a line, and watch the skies for rain that might undo all our efforts. The technology of the washing machine has saved our backs, all of that body labor, but it has not given us those hours back. We have filled them up with, among other things, new standards for hygiene that say we should change all of our clothes every day and wash the ones we've worn just once. I am not arguing that we should not all change our clothes every day. I'm just noticing that labor-saving technologies raise expectations and unintentionally bring more labor into our lives. So much of that new labor is not taxing for our bodies, so much as it is for our brains. And so, in the 21st century, we are tired in a whole new way. Even when I stop working, someone told me recently, I cannot stop thinking about working and worrying about not working, so I can't sleep and so I am tired all the time anyway, so I might as well keep working. The advancements of the 21st century, friends, when no one in this room is literally enslaved, but our minds are captive to the work just the same. There is yet one more form of tired that is harder to describe and perhaps more dangerous to name because if you don't already feel it, my saying it out loud might expose you to its power and I would not want to be responsible for that. But I've thought it over and I am prepared to take the risk because I actually think this might be what a lot of us here mean lately when we answer the what is your body saying to your spirit query with I'm tired. I think we mean that we are weary deep in our bones, where bones is a metaphor for spirit, of the onslaught of harm and heartache in this world God still loves. The scale of suffering in the human family is so huge, so unimaginably vast that our minds and bodies and spirits cannot hold it. And it comes to us unbidden from screens and speakers that we could arguably avoid, except that we need those very screens and speakers to meet our actual responsibilities. And anyway, what kind of people would we be if we just turned it all off? All the reports of all the hurt that does not hurt us directly. So, in the name of soft-heartedness, we let it in. And some little piece of it settles into us, belongs to us. And all those little pieces add up, and we find ourselves shouldering a heavy burden of grief for the shape our world is in, this fucked up world God still, still somehow loves. It happened to me last week. I had the radio on in the background 
The murmur of NPR propelling me through the bed-making, teeth-brushing, calendar-checking morning routine. And I half heard a statistic I could not believe. Like, I seriously thought it had to be a mistake. They either reported it wrong or I heard it wrong. They said that since the Dobbs decision, since the Supreme Court's overturn of Roe v. Wade in June of 2022, just 18 months ago, and the trigger laws making abortion illegal in several states, including ours, they said that there have been 26,000 pregnancies as the result of rape in the state of Texas alone. You just have to sit with that one for a minute. In Texas, 26,000 pregnancies as the result of rape in 18 months. 26, zero, zero, zero. Y'all. People with childbearing capacity can only get pregnant for a few days each menstrual cycle. How many rapes do there have to be to result in 26,000 pregnancies in 18 months' time? Try not to do that math if you can help it. I did it. And it made me so tired. So tired that if I had not already made my bed, I'd have crawled back into it for the rest of the day. Except I knew that I was tired in a way that no nap or good night's sleep or a month or a year of good night's sleep is going to relieve. Tired because it's such an old story. The patriarchy unto misogyny, the toxic unto violent masculinity, the appalling abuse of children and our collective unwillingness to protect them, the disbelief and disinterest of the people in power, the misguided religious interest in dogma over human beings, etc., etc., etc. It is so much, it is too much. We are so tired. The origin story that our ancestors in faith passed down to us describes a God hard at work. For several days, God separates and gathers, pushing water, pulling land, stretching sky, taming time, containing and arranging, moving and placing until the scene is ready for all the life that God has in mind. And then for a couple days more, God draws forth from God's imagination an incredible array of creatures, including the originary human family from which the whole human family will descend. Parenthetically, I am not asserting that this is the only or right way to tell the story of human origins. I'm partial to Darwin's narration myself. But our ancestors told a story about God, a story about God's involvement with creation, about God's initiative and interest and intimacy and evaluation of everything that is. And I love this story too, not because it explains scientifically how I got here, but because it testifies sufficiently that everything that is, is because of God and for God and pleases God. And I've learned that I can hold those two stories, Darwin's and Genesis, 
in my mind at the same time because my mind evolved and was intended by God to hold complexities like this. See? There. I'm glad we got that settled. Anyway, according to our story, God, having spent some long season and no small emotional energy bringing into being everything that exists, on the seventh day, lets out a long exhale and sets God's body down to rest. But that's not really it, is it? God's body does not ache from exertion. God's cells do not need downtime to regenerate. And likewise, it's not really the case that God has a long list of stuff to accomplish, a worried mind that cannot stop spinning on tomorrow's to-do list. What does God's rest accomplish for God exactly? Could it simply be that God having set in place the conditions for life, having sparked to life everything that squawks or bleats, howls or buzzes, cries and sucks and poops and loves and loses and learns and lies, and having graded the totality of God's own work as good unto very good, God loved it and trusted it enough to simply stop. So that God's rest on the seventh day is less about recovering from exhaustion and more about sitting still in God's confidence that it's all going to work, come what may. That it will never get so broken that God cannot repair it. That nothing so terrible will ever happen that God cannot get out of it everything that God wants. Maybe God's rest, I'm saying, is less about being tired and more about being at peace. And this, I'm saying, friends, is not about encouraging you to schedule in some self-care or give yourself permission to take a nap or call into work for a personal day, or order pizza for the fam when you just cannot think of one more way to turn ingredients into a meal. I mean, those can all be good things, and you should go for it if you need to and if you can. And don't forget to give thanks for the privilege of the opportunity to rest. But God's own Sabbath rest, and I would say the deeper implication for our own practice of rest, requires a faith so deep, so baseline, that it is presented in our story of origins in the very first paragraphs of our sacred text. God rested, Genesis says, because God looked at the world God had made and God said, terrific. And because God had faith in God's own assessment, because God had faith in this world, a deep down trust that it was going to work ultimately the way God meant for it to. God could put up God's feet for a minute, take God's mind off it for a minute. 
The first faith recorded in the Bible, I'm saying, is God's faith in the world. This world. Yeah. And when God invited us into God's own Sabbath practice, when God made rest one of the Big Ten Commandments, God asked us to have faith in this world too. To believe that what God has made is good, even very good. And that all of our worry and all of our work, all of our exhaustion, and all of our pushing past the exhaustion to work and worry some more is required. Even Jesus didn't do that. Napping through a storm on a nice, soft pillow. One of my favorite gospel details, Jesus asleep on a cushion. Even Jesus didn't push through the exhaustion to work and worry some more. And it all actually belongs to him. For tonight, just this invitation, friends, to relax your shoulders and neck as Janice has invited us to do, to loosen that tightness in your forehead, and to share here with your companions a gamble of faith. That everything that is, is good. That God believes it. And that God has asked us to believe it too. I'm working on finding that kind of rest. I'm glad to be doing it with all of you. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.